Good morning. Uh, please have a seat. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 15 today. So let us pray first, then we'll come to the passage. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word today. And we pray that as we continue to think and hear what you say to us, you will help us to examine our hearts and seek to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a few weeks, we will be celebrating the season of Lent. During this time, many will fast from meat and become vegetarians for a season. However, for some, on Lent, they will intentionally eat sausage as a sign of protest against the teachings of the Catholic Church during the time of the Reformation. So should one be vegetarian or not? In a few weeks, those from Chinese families will be celebrating Chinese New Year. On this day, they will be given red packets that symbolizes good luck. But there are Christians who say, we cannot influence luck. God is sovereign over all things. We do not put our hope for goodness in red packets. So they will say to give and receive red packets is to encourage people to take their eyes off God. So do we give or take red packets during this season? There will be some who hold to the idea that coming to church must mean that people dress up to a certain dress code. And to not do that, to come in shorts and t-shirt is unacceptable and disrespectful. However, there will be some who think that those who dress up to church are being pretentious and look to material things. They're trying to flaunt what they have. And so they will intentionally dress down. So how should we dress when we come to church? These examples bring to mind the role of tradition in our lives. Traditions are everywhere in our church practice, our festivities, and even in our personal preferences. So our passage today touches on that topic, and it will teach us an important principle that we need to keep in mind when we come to tradition. And I hope that we can learn this lesson so that we can look at all the traditions that we hold to from a biblical perspective. So let's go to our passage and have a look. Now, in our previous passages, we have seen how different people respond to Jesus. Then we saw how Jesus responded to people with love and compassion. And in doing that, Jesus revealed himself to those who had eyes to see. The disciples worshipped Jesus, declared him as the Son of God in our passage last week. At this point, the reader will have a clear idea that Jesus is divine, not merely a man. Now, the point of what we have seen so far in the passages leading to today is to make us question how we respond to Jesus, even as we see how the people at that time and the disciples responded to Jesus. So it's with that question that we are now brought to this passage, this encounter with the Pharisees and the scribes. So in our passage for today, Matthew brings us to see the response from the Pharisees. And we begin in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Now the Pharisees and the scribes are those who have great authority over the religious lives of Israel. They were the religious elite of their time. And they have worked out all manner of religious traditions to the laws that they have found in the Old Testament. Now here, 
I want you to notice something small in verse 1 that we might easily miss. These Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. These were not your friendly neighborhood Pharisees who happened to notice something off about how Jesus and the disciples behave. They were not trying to help Jesus to improve their walk in Judaism. These are actually those who came all the way from the capital in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. So this would be the equivalent of a contingent of government officials coming all the way from Putrajaya to question a church leader here. And as you see the black cars pull over with a police escort, you know that they're not just doing something routine. They're responding to something serious and there's a purpose and an agenda for them to be there. So most likely here, what is happening is that Matthew is showing us how the religious leaders are responding to the fame of Jesus that's been growing as people started reporting about his many miracles and the new teachings that Jesus brings, teachings that he brings to authority. Now we know the Jewish leaders have already been hostile to Jesus. They questioned him, tried to trap him with their questions. They even declared that the miracles of Jesus were done through the power of Satan. So they hated Jesus and they rejected him. While nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, the Jewish Inquisition, however, had been coming for a long time. And this marks the beginning of the formal, official and concerted attack on Jesus. We look to verse 2 and we see their point of contention as they level their question to Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now in the Jewish culture then, they have developed the tradition of ritual cleansing before they eat their meals. And this was practiced for a long time and it's taken on the force of law in their culture. And the idea behind this is that as you meet those who are unclean in your daily business, you want to make sure that you do not let the defilement from touching those who are unclean get into you as you eat food with defiled hands. Now, while on the surface, it might look like, okay, maybe this ritual can be good for ensuring hygiene, right? Washing hands after all. We must remember that the idea of germs and hygiene is actually a relatively modern discovery. So what they meant when they talk about washing hands is simply about ceremonial washing. It's about traditions, forcing people to comply with a particular mindset it's not about health and hygiene. And actually, this particular tradition of hand washing is rooted in a desire to isolate the society from the Gentiles and everyone deemed not good enough. It is about racial identity that's been twisted to become an ideology of racial purity. You see, to the Jewish religious leaders, to eat with Gentiles is really bad because, you see, the Gentiles are pork eaters. They're haram. They don't keep kosher. Those who do not follow the law and commandments of the Torah, they are unclean, at least to the Jews. So the mindset that the Jewish people had against the Gentile was so strong that when religious Jewish people came to Jerusalem, part of their pilgrimage to the temple, right? First thing they do before they enter, the, enter into Jerusalem, they'll shake off the dust from their sandals, lest they contaminate Jerusalem with the filth of the Gentiles. So in instituting the hand-washing tradition, they make it uncomfortable enough that 
any tradition following Jew will feel very awkward and will not share a meal with someone who is unclean. And this means no table fellowship, hard to build friendships, and it will keep the Jews with the Jews. And this is exactly what happened in the book of Galatians, right? When the Jewish Christians drew away from the Gentile Christians when it comes time to have their meal. Now, this mindset extends to beyond just the Gentiles. There were many others who were deemed as unclean. Prostitutes, tax collectors, those involved in unsavory work, and such. But here's the thing, right? Who do we know have been mixing in with the Gentiles, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and all those who are deemed unclean? Jesus did. And by association, so did the disciples. So in bringing up this accusation, they are not only accusing the disciples of forgetting tradition, they are also indirectly accusing them of doing unclean practices, of mixing in with people who are unclean. So by attacking the disciples with this accusation, Jesus is being accused as a teacher who is leading his disciples to ungodliness. By teaching his disciples to mingle with the unclean, not following Jewish traditions properly, he's not strict enough as a teacher. That's why they say, your disciples. So they imply that Jesus is not teaching the same thing that they taught. At the very least, they imply that Jesus doesn't even understand clean and unclean. It's like a false teacher who's stumbling all these poor disciples. And of course, their real goal is to challenge the ministry of Jesus. They are just looking for something to condemn Jesus. Right? So, the reason we look so deeply into the context here is because we want to be clear, this is actually very big. This is not just a procedural question. Jesus is in big trouble. He has drawn the attention of the leaders and they are clearly showing their hostility to what he is doing here. Now we know, right, that they've had conflicts with him before. His miracles derive from Satan, they say. But here, they are formally coming, with, coming to him to pick a fight with him. So how does Jesus respond? We come to verse 3 and we see Jesus answering, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, if you read the gospel carefully, you see that Jesus is portrayed sometimes that he doesn't wash his hand ritually, right? He doesn't subscribe to the idea that people become unclean through the eating of food. And if they wash their hands, then they are clean, right? Jesus, who looks into the heart of man, knows the truth. All men are unclean because of sin. And actually... The only way to become clean is by coming to Jesus. He knew that. And so he also knew that their accusation is done in bad faith. It is merely an excuse to attack Jesus. It's not a genuine question to find out why. They're not like, Jesus, why you do this? Is this wrong? Should we also change? No. They're just looking for a reason to get to him. And that's why Jesus does not reply to their accusation. Instead, he points to their hypocrisy and challenges them back. And here, Jesus accuses them 
as people who break the commandment of God for the sake of their tradition. To explain further, in verse 4, Jesus says, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And so here Jesus points to this tradition as an example. This tradition called the Korban teaches that someone can dedicate things that they possess for the purpose of giving it to the temple and therefore they are now exempt from giving that thing to fulfill their other obligations. So, if they say, ah, oh, I've dedicated all the obligations to my parents to the temple, now they can get away without giving their parents their due obligation. And this doesn't necessarily mean that they will take the money or property and give it to the temple. Rather, it just means they made a vow to reserve these things to be given to the temple. And even better, this convenient declaration leaves the property still at the disposal of the person who made the vow. They can still use it. All the vow has done is it has deprived the person's parent of any right to it. So legally, the parents can't come and say he's done something wrong. Legally, they can't make any claims of the son because it's vowed to the temple. You can't touch. So it's a smart and devious way for them to escape the obligations that they have to their parents. So while God has said, that this is a serious matter to the point that those who disregard the commandment to honor their parents should be stoned to death, the religious leaders, through their traditions, put in loopholes for the benefit of those who want to disobey God. In other words, the tradition are a means of bypassing and making void what God has told them to do, and yet they can do all of this and make themselves feel justified by doing it. I am following what the traditions teach. I'm a good person. So what Jesus is saying here is that traditions are bad. We must not follow traditions, right? Actually, that isn't what he's saying, right? What Jesus is condemning here, if you look carefully, is the wickedness of the hearts in using traditions in order to find loopholes in what God has asked them to do. In other words, Jesus is condemning the wickedness in how they use traditions rather than saying traditions are bad. There are good traditions and there are bad traditions. Jesus would give thanks when he had a meal. Jesus would probably do many of the Jewish things. But there are some things that Jesus didn't follow like the hand washing. And he didn't even just follow la, to keep the Pharisee happy because he could have easily, oh yeah, i got Pharisee here, never mind, la, wash hand. Tell the disciples, no need, la, but if you've got Pharisee, la, then you wash, la, you know, show face. He doesn't say that. He rejects this tradition outright and does not practice it. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus outrightly did not wash his hand when having dinner with a Pharisee. So if we see that, 
we too must reject bad traditions that point in a direction opposed to what God tells us. And the way that we know the difference between the good and the bad is to see how it treats the commandments of God. Does it follow or does it lead us in the other way? So how does that tie in into the hand-washing bit that they're complaining? Let's continue to find out. We come to verse 7 to 9 and we see Jesus quoting Isaiah. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he say, These people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So this is the problem then. They are teaching the commandments of men as doctrine. And that means what they are obeying is not God's word, but the desire of man which ultimately comes from a wicked heart. Therefore, while they seem to be honouring God by using traditions steeped in religion, traditions held by many generations, in actuality, their hearts are far from God. They seem to be religious and obedient to God, but in actuality, they have perverted religion by mixing in traditions in order to get out of their actual obligation to God. By instituting these traditions, they convince themselves that we are clean, we are pure, we are good people. When actually, they are sinful, they reject God's commandment. The tradition is just used to cover and make themselves feel good. In fact, even this accusation about not washing hands is just a disguise to try to attack the ministry of Jesus. And actually, we will see eventually how they use all these traditions and religious beliefs, religious things that they held to, to kill Jesus, who they disagree with. In their hands, the religion and traditions become a tool for murder. Now there's nothing in scripture that commands and teaches that washing hands make you clean. And in believing in a false ritual that gives false confidence, they manage to convince themselves that they are godly and righteous when the things that they are actually doing are so far from it. But they put in traditions and rituals that allows them to escape, to find loopholes so they can lie to themselves, think that they are holy and good in God's eye, even as they blatantly disregard God's will. So Jesus, knowing what's really going on with the questioning, does not answer the question and brings this up to condemn them. They were religious hypocrites and they were using the tradition as a front to do evil in attacking Jesus and ultimately trying to kill him. Now to drive the point in more deeply, Jesus clarifies in verse 10, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Here, when pushed by Peter for more explanation in verse 15 to 20, Jesus clarifies that when it comes to the issue of uncleanness, what defiles someone is not what goes into the mouth, but rather what comes out of the mouth. In other words, what comes out of our heart that expresses itself through what we say, that is more able to defile us and make us unrighteous than anything 
we eat avocado. So here we see that rather than being concerned about external things making us unclean, what we need to be careful of is the condition of our hearts that will lead us to open our mouth in unrighteousness and our uncleanness comes out of our sinful heart yearning to do sinful deeds. Think about it. When we try to serve our own desires against God's purposes, but want the world to think that we are good, what do we do? We'll try to justify our sins. We make excuses, right? We work against God's purposes, yet we will try to justify and say some smart things. And when we open our mouth to give excuses, oh, I'm not sure if scripture actually teaches this, or, you know, I think the culture, when you make this kind of excuses, isn't what comes out of your mouth utter wickedness. Because you're making void the word of God. In justifying these things, we bring out the evil from our heart and that evil defiles us. Take for example, when a man chooses to cheat on his wife and he's pressed in, what will he do? He will give excuses. Oh, my wife has become cold. My wife no longer gives me my conjugal rights. I'm just lonely. My wife doesn't understand me. But actually, God tells us to keep our promises, right? And this man has promised to love and honor his wife till death do them part. So what comes out of the mouth, which comes out from the heart, is that desire to sin. And that's wrong. And think about it, what does society have to say about this? What traditions does society hold? Depending on where you come from, some groups of people will be okay with divorce. They will shrug off the adultery and divorce it. Never mind, lah, these things happen. Better for them to be happy than to stay together. There will be some people who blame the wife, not knowing how to take care of her husband, they will say. Then there will be people who will justify, never mind, lah, he's a successful man. It's normal for men like this. Each has upheld a tradition that goes against what God commands. So be warned, out of the heart comes all the things that makes us unclean. And when we hold to these wrong traditions, they don't justify these things. It just reveals the uncleanness that we hold to. So be warned, out of the heart comes all the things that makes us unclean. And so the solution is not in relying on tradition to justify our sinfulness. Because we all sin. We all need something. The answer is not tradition. The answer is... I see you mouthing out, right? The answer is Jesus. With Jesus, think about it, the disciples actually had no need to wash their hands because he made them clean. What point would it be for the disciples to wash their hands? And so we, when we come to Jesus... Jesus is able to make us clean. Not religion, not tradition, not our deeds. So that's why we see Jesus didn't wash his hands, his disciples didn't wash because there was no need. Jesus was there. Then the disciples bring up the concern for Jesus in verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard their saying, 
Pharisees and scribes were powerful people. They had a powerful presence over Israel. And Jesus had just offended them. So the disciples are worried. And they bring out the obvious. But Jesus then reminds them of his earlier parable of the weed or tares in Matthew chapter 13. And in that parable, Jesus thought, right, that when the day of judgment comes, there are those who look like fruit-bearing grains but are in actuality poisonous tares. And Jesus says they will be uprooted and destroyed. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were. They looked like religious teachers who guide Israel, but in truth, they were wicked. So Jesus tells the disciples not to worry, God will deal with them. They are blind guides and those who follow them will fall into a pit. If Israel rejects Jesus and follows the Pharisee, they will fall into destruction. So the disciples, they themselves should not be concerned about listening to the disciples or trying to make peace. They should know that their way is the way of destruction. And in the same way, there will be leaders who guide people to the wrong path, yet they will do it with a veneer of religious authenticity. And if we follow them, instead of the word of God, instead of the person of Christ, we will fall to destruction. So, what do we learn today? Well, firstly, we want to see that being clean or unclean is not tied in to religious observations. Instead, it's about the state of the heart. We are all unclean because we are sinners and we have this tendency to come to tradition, to try to make excuses, to cheat ourselves into thinking we are right so we can say, I'm a good person. But Jesus warns us, it is what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. And so the real problem with cleanness is that of the heart. And we need Jesus to cleanse our heart. To lead us away from a sinful heart into a heart that loves God, that seeks righteousness. And Jesus came to teach us how to do this. He came so that we can be washed clean. He came so that we can be equipped to have a right heart before God. That was the purpose of the gospel. That was the reason he hung on that cross. That was the reason he called people to come to him. Without the salvation that Jesus brings through his gospel, we are doomed to follow our heart that continuously spews up uncleanness, sin, making us unworthy before God. So relying on tradition so that we feel good about ourselves, Relying on religiosity so others can see us and say, wow, you're such a good man. It's not going to help change what's inside. We need Jesus and we know he is the guide that leads us rightly to God, unlike the blind guides. And we know this because he lived a perfect and righteous life. He died on the cross in perfect obedience to the Father. And through that death, gives all who believe in him the same righteousness that he has. And then he changes our heart through the Holy Spirit. See, he deals with the heart problem. He comes to make the unclean clean again. Jesus is the real solution to anyone who's concerned about being unclean before God. So come to Jesus if you have not yet. 
Put your trust in Him to be right with God. Next, we can see the tradition can be good or bad and we must reject the bad traditions because they were instituted with the purpose of making God's commandment void. In practicing this, we go against God Himself, we make ourselves unclean through the sin that comes out from our heart and we learn today how to distinguish the bad by comparing every tradition that we have against what God has said. And that is the true measure. There should be no tradition that we hold to that goes against what God has said. And since the heart is the source of uncleanness, we should look to our heart in any tradition that we hold to. Why do we hold it? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? And challenge ourselves. Let me give you some examples. Remember the question about Lent? We need to ask, right? Are we practicing Lent as a way to draw closer to God? Or are we practicing it so we feel superior to others? Do we look to what others are doing for Lent and then judge them? Oh, you're not fasting for Lent now. Do we seek to enforce it by reviling or mocking those who don't practice it? Wow, you never practice Lent, huh? You guys know, he doesn't do Lent, you know? And if you're doing this, or if you're observing the tradition of fasting and telling everyone because we want people to see us, wow, this guy, very good one. Then, let us remember that fasting on land does not make you more holy. Having said that, fasting on land can be a good discipline. It can be a good tool to help us to remember God. It's a season for us to focus. And if that's why you're doing it, then it's a good thing. But be warned about the dangers of tradition that can give us false security. And examine your heart to why you do these things. And if the reason why we practice fasting during Lent is to feel better than other people, if you judge others, if you try to force other people to do it, then throw away the tradition. When we give or receive ang pao, if you're relying on good luck to have assurance about the year to come, maybe at night you rub the packet for good luck, huh? then throw away the tradition. Right? It's not wrong to give with a heart to bless others, but we must trust in God and rely on His blessing. When we have needs, don't rub the packet, lah. you pray to God. Right? So think about what your heart holds even as you receive these packets of blessing. And if it's not in the right place, if you're doing it for the wrong reason, then throw away that tradition. Dressing up to church can be good because it can help us to remember the weight of what it means to come together to worship God. It can be about your intentionality. It can be about, you know, I want to be respectful, I want to be in the right frame of mind. And those are good things, right? But when dressing up becomes a law, and it makes us reject people because of how they dress, then we need to look at our heart. Because if someone comes in, and they're wearing shorts and t-shirt, maybe a tourist, and he decides to sit in the back, then we go, oh, excuse me friend, this is church, you know, your sandals and shorts, like you know respect for the house of God. You think you're being holy, right? You think you're being, wow, I'm, I'm the defender of God's church. But well, what are you doing? That man is going to leave, 
Or he like smile, smile, smile. And I'm never setting my foot here in this church anymore. Very rude. They made me feel bad. I'm embarrassed to come back. And then you need to ask yourself, right? Where is your heart? Is it the same heart that God has that wants everyone to come to salvation, to hear the gospel, to respond to Jesus? Or is it about being religious gatekeepers? So, if our reason for focusing on the traditions about dressing is about our appearances rather than our love for God, love for the congregation, then throw that tradition away. Let no tradition stand in the way of God's will. As His people, we serve Him first, not tradition. So put tradition as a servant of God's purpose, not as a means of making His word void. So like Jesus and the disciples, be bold, reject traditions that do not help us serve God. Even if it's given to you by people who have a high position, authority, or you respect. Because ultimately, it is God who must be obeyed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to examine our hearts and that you will help us, Lord, to change our hearts if there needs to be any change. Lord, open up our mind and our hearts so that we can see genuinely what's going on behind the scene that we know why we act the way we do why we hold to the things we do and help us to repent if they are not right in jesus name we pray amen